This is the What Matters Most podcast. A 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman. Welcome back to What Matters Most. Thank you to everyone around the world who tunes in and writes in, and also the amazing amount of listeners we have in the Nashville area, the Tennessee area. I mean, we have a lot of people there and a lot of wonderful people and a lot of guests that have been on the show, like Margaret Renkel, who just wrote an incredible column in the New York Times yesterday that I'm going to talk about, and some other folks. Shout out to John Ingram, who I know listens. Uh, Today, one of my dearest friends and one of my favorite human beings is the guest. She's back, and I'm not just saying that we're pandering because I really find her to be one of the most brilliant people, but one of the most heart-centered, empathetic, warm just good character souls. And I'm very pleased to have her back on. And also we're going to talk about some sad stuff and also some solutions and some possibilities. It's just an honor to have my dear friend, State Senator Heidi Campbell back on the show. Well, right back at you. It's always great to be with you. Um, I absolutely love your show. And um, it's a wonderful oasis and kind of a crazy week to spend um, a few minutes with you today. Oh, thank you. And we are taping today on March 30th, but we're going to wait to release this for a little bit until you make a big announcement. But just a couple days ago, there was an an incredible tragedy, but which is normal in America. It just hit really close to home. I lived, when I live in Nashville, it was one mile from where I live. It was the Covenant School. Uh, You were in the heart of a lot of this. Uh, Will you first talk about what it was and where you were and what unfolded within you? Yeah, so I was in my office um, preparing for just, you know, a regular day at the legislature, which is never regular, by the way. (laughs) And um, I got uh, my L.A. came in and said, oh, my God, there's been a shooting. And, um, you know, just the second you hear that, everybody's reaction, I'm sure, is the same. It's just just it sort of breaks the fabric of time you know that something awful that it's changed things forever has just happened but um anyway i went down um to the reunification spot when i found out kind of what the plan was um at a nearby church after the covenant shooting uh which for those of your guests that don't know although i can't imagine there are many that don't there was a shooting in nashville at a elementary christian school in green hills which is where i grew up and um three um third graders and three um, of the staff uh, were killed. And um, and at the time, of course, we didn't know how many had been killed. And so anyway, I found out where um, I could try to be of most help um, and went to this nearby church, Woodmont Baptist Church, where they were um, reunifying the children with their families. And um, I just was blown away by the support, the love, the equanimity, um, the patience, the patience of this group of people and the trust that they showed towards their administration. And then the police just did a phenomenal job. We know this in retrospect that it they could not have done a better job in terms of their response. And yet, of course, we had um, six people die, seven, including the shooter. And um you know, that just tells us that there is no solution um, that involves any kind of um, of reaction. Um, guns are fast. 
And, um, and it's just, it's just been a horrible fallout in terms of um, the pain that it's caused this community. But I will say I was down at the legislature today and there were over a thousand people down there protesting and screaming in the halls of, of the, which is a very loud room. It's, it's, you know, a lot of reflective surfaces. And so we were sitting in session with all of this yelling going on outside, which was, you know, the people, it was, it was powerful. It wasn't, it was, I, I felt great about it. I felt bolstered by it, but I watched my colleagues get really unnerved. And it's the first time that I've ever seen anything affect them. And I have hope that, you know, maybe at this moment in time, we could actually see um, a little bit of a, a little bit of a turn and the direction that our state's been going, which has been entirely the wrong direction when you talk about um, these sorts of issues. Beautifully said. And uh, one of the saddest things was you were at the church too, and a parent found out that they lost their child. You're a parent. I'm not a parent. But even hearing about that, I just broke down and wept. And I felt like I've been in a funk for 48 hours. I can't imagine what it was like or it is like for them, what was it like for you? I mean, that's really close to home. That could have been you. Right. No, I was with this pastor who was, um, you know, we were helping the congregation, reminding them to hydrate, telling them, you know, what the plan was. And all of a sudden this, uh, just, I'll never forget it. Just this primal scream um, came um, from this woman who, who found out. And, um, uh, just, I will never forget it. And I can't imagine. I mean, she, from that moment, knew that she was going home without her baby. And, um, uh, you know, nobody should ever, ever have to go through that. And of course, you know, all the all the families in there felt that too, because that's their, you know, that's their community. And um, of course, you think it could happen to any one of us. And then and then there's also, I think, some guilt that, you know, I get to go home to my baby and that woman doesn't. And um, and then we didn't even talk. We still don't talk about, you know, the people who lost their adult family, um, you know, the children who lost their father and um, the wife who lost her husband. Um, because we do focus on the children and I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but, um, but those people I'm sure are just devastated to have this sudden, you know, horrific event, take their loved one from them this way with, um, with very little purpose. I mean, it's just, you know, you don't expect it to happen on Monday, a random Monday. I was thinking of that song. I don't like Mondays <laughs> because it's about, that's what it's about. And this is every town USA. And you know what I realized here? I haven't said this really publicly. I thought, God, I feel crushed. Now there's shootings like this every day in America. And it's not like this anywhere else in the world. One of my friends, a couple lost their daughter at Sandy Hook. And it hit me then like a ton of bricks, but somehow it re-triggered all that. I didn't really understand it until like a day or so later that I just like, hey, buddy, what's for my inside talk? Why is this? What's going on? I haven't seen you like this. And then I realized it was all that it came back and stuff that I probably didn't feel then because it just was such a shock. 
you know, I think she was six or seven and yeah, I never got over it. And I, neither have they, I guess that it was so close to home or something about it. Uh, one of the little girls looked like her and it just ran me over. And the thing I just keep thinking, and I've had Shannon Watts on the show many times, moms who demand action. It's a great organization. We don't have to live like this, do we? We shouldn't have to live like this. And I want to curse. I was going to say our kids don't have to live like this and our kids should not have to live like this. Yeah, you know, and it's uh, it, re it resembles in some ways to me a national addiction because it's we, every time one of these things happen, you know, kind of like a bender or something, we say never again, that's it, we're done. There's all this energy and we're, we're not going to let it happen and damn it, we're going to do something about it. And, you know, then some new cycle takes over. And when I say again and again, I actually looked it up because I had to, you know, get my head around it. And um, since Columbine, which is, I'm sure there were school shootings before that, but that was the real first big one, right? Um, since then, there have been 367 school shootings. And every single time <laughs> we've said you never again, and here we are. Um, so I don't know. I it's um it's a national disease that we have with guns and the arguments, the acrobatics that people go through when you start to talk about these issues resembles addiction to me too. You know, when you're talking to an addict, they'll go to any length to try and figure out a way that it's okay for them to do drugs or um, you know, they're gonna quit or they needed to do it this one time or whatever it is. It feels very much like that because they're illogical. You know, it's stuff like, well, what about, I was talking to somebody and saying, yeah, but you know, if you didn't have guns, you wouldn't have gun violence. And they're like, well, what? Because you can't argue with that. And and they couldn't go to their mental illness argument with that one. They said, well, what about fentanyl? I'm just like, what about it? I mean, that's a horrible problem too, of course. But um, we just can't have a logical discussion about guns because- they have become so, um, so galvanized and so, you know, um, put on an altar in our, in our country. You make a good point because in the days since I've had people say things like who love their guns, if it wasn't guns, she would have done it with a knife or run her car into a bunch of kids. I said, but with the knife, would she have overpowered the custodian? which you've overpowered it with the car. I mean, that's crazy. Another person was telling me it's the chemicals in the food. It's the pharmaceuticals. It's mental illness. It's mental illness. I said, Hey, yeah. Pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Chemicals, whatever. Uh, mental illness. What a, that's a great argument to make weapons of mass destruction impossible to get war grade weapons and to make even a hunting gun really hard to get. We and if she had to do it with a car, she would have had to have a license to just even drive the car. If she wanted to be a hairdresser, she'd have to take a thousand hours of training. She's buying three guns a day. I keep I keep coming back to it. Doesn't matter what's in your head or your heart. What matters is what's in your hand, and that's because you know it, it, we have data that clearly shows us that in other countries that also have mental illness, by the way. Um, and fentanyl and all these other things that they don't have the same nearly no, nowhere near the same level of gun violence. I mean, and no school shootings at all. 
Um, so I had this woman, I, when I was growing up, um, the, the woman who lived across the street from me, I mean, she was a kid at the time, but 10 years older than I was, but anyway, she came in and, um, I didn't recognize her cause I haven't seen her since I was a kid, but, um, she said, Hey, um, you know, told me her name. I won't give her name, but told me her name. And I said, Oh my God, are do you have kids here? And, and she did. And, um, I said, um, um, well, let me know what I can do. And there was, you know, a couple of hours of, it was a very stressful room and the hour, the minutes were like hours. And it was, you know, it was just really a stressful time for everybody. And so a few hours later, she came up to me and she said, she, she'd been reunited with her kids. And um, she said, I just wanted to tell you something before I go. It is not about the guns. It's about mental illness. And I thought that is absolutely extraordinary that at a time when she's been stressed out about being reunited with her kids. Um, I mean, at that moment, she still felt a need to come up and tell me not to go after guns. That I can't even imagine feeling that way about anything. And my entire focus would be on, oh my God, thank God I have my kid. You know, I just, I don't understand that. It reminds me of a zombie movie. <laughs> so many things, so many things in our world right now are my right now, it's sadly true. The wonder why they're popular, but it is it. And then the other one I hear when I really try to drill down, they're afraid that if they give up their guns like they did at Pol Pot or Hitler, the government's gonna come and kill all of them and put them in camps. They're afraid of their government, right? So I've had to say then walk them through the next step. And this is a couple of women told me this. Do you really feel with whatever gun you have, you're going to be able to stand down a SEAL team or a combat unit surrounding your house with artillery or wherever you are on some farm that if they really want to get you that somehow you're going to win a shootout? What is this, Rambo 6? I mean, it's crazy. On a greater level, that that's, you know, part of the gestalt that perpetuates this culture of terror. And, and we're living in a culture of terror and guns are such a big part of that because they're um, all intertwined with the, the movement towards otherism and fear that we're feeling. And if there was ever a moment um, in the gun debate that is about that otherism and fear, this is certainly one of those moments because we're about to see, I, I think sadly, that this is going to transition into um, a conversation about who the shooter was and what the motives were. And I always, I always hate when that happens because that's not really the point. Um, and this, in this particular instance, in this state where we have made it so hard to be um, different um, in so many capacities, I, I just think that, um, I think that that's just going to make things worse. I think at some point in Washington, too, we'll hear that the only solution to this is more tax cuts for the rich. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. I'm sure, because that's always the answer. And I think you and I have talked about this before that, I mean, if you were just to say, hey, in one sentence, tell me what this moment of, and planetarily, like the whole world, this moment we're living in is with one sentence, I'd just say we're in this moment of greed versus good. And um, 
all of these things in some way or another are feeding that agenda. And, um, and, you know, it's, we're being manipulated in many ways to, to continue to, to fuel that. And there's a degree to which we do it on the left as well, but, um, you know, uh, being opposed to people who um, marginalize and abuse others is different from being opposed to to people. <laughs> yeah, the radical notion of universal health care. Now that's tyranny. Right. And, you know, it, it is so Maslavian. I mean, I, I always say that, but it, it really is about inevitably. I had some social workers up in my office yesterday in the midst of all this, and I went up because you'll have groups that come up and do a day on the hill. And um, so they're coming to, you know, you have the dentists and the anesthesiologists. And um, this was the social workers. And um, and they, there's this on the eighth floor, there are these conference rooms and you'll go up and you'll meet with them. And I love it. I really do. It's 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 so kind of all of them to be willing to come up and 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 give us their time when you know we're in the midst of stuff because it's it's a great opportunity for us to learn more about what they're doing and 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 figure out how we can help them and so the social workers were what they wanted to tell me was they wanted to tell me that consistently they're being told that um they're choosing a stupid profession cuz they'll never make any money and and why why are they doing it and I, I just think that's so tragic because that's exactly who we need to be supporting. That's exactly who we need, who we should be paying more, you know, that and our teachers, because the opportunity costs, which we are not willing to, to look forward towards and think about in terms of the chess game of, you know, figuring out strategies for how we can live together. Um, is is it's just a stupid stupid mistake to not um not put effort into supporting our communities because of what it costs us on the back end even if you're just looking at it just monetarily even if you're looking at it through that lens of greed um but i will say the workaround unfortunately that our 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 state and these southern states have have come to is to figure out how to privatize everything so that our tax dollars are going directly into their pockets and that is um that is something that is happening kind of behind the curtain and i worry that a lot of people don't even know that that's what's going on um because inevitably that does lead to i mean i can't see anywhere that leads but not having anything close to a democracy mm, so true and it's always a grift i'm always shocked but not shocked when i like you start digging around and then there's zealotness ideology it's actually a grift behind it it's a grift and that all that it's just for the money and some scam or some no bid contract by the way i was thinking again and again they would say oh mental health mental health but they don't want to fund mental health in fact they defund mental health exactly you know and that's that's what's amazing is that they, they like to say mental health but i i can't I can't tell you any instance where they put meaningful, meaningful funding into mental health. Wow. And by the way, if you're listening, we're, there are never going to be no guns. There's 400 million guns. There's more guns than people in America. But we could have sensible gun control. There's a whole list, background checks, loopholes, gun loopholes, just like every other thriving social democracy or country in the world that doesn't have this. This is one of the few areas we are number one, sadly. 
it's not about taking the hunting rifle or the responsible person. Ironically, the really responsible person, people with guns, they want this too, as do the police. They don't want to be running in on somebody with, uh, you know, military grade weapons and in, in body armor. That means their mortality is going to be a lot lower. That's so true. That was, um, that was what I was saying to my colleagues, um, earlier today should be our angle with trying to we're, we're looking for some captions to to so that we can maybe get some some gun some red flag laws and things like that up but you know we had law enforcement come up to the legislature on a regular basis when bill lee was determined to pass permitless carry which he called constitutional carry but um he was you know that was very very important to him and um we had law enforcement come up regularly and on in committees say, please don't do this. This threatens our safety. And um, and usually um, my colleagues across the aisle are very um, supportive of our police and listen to them. But we have, you know, several instances of them in committee chastising police officers and telling them that they need to um, you know, support freedom and, and and the Second Amendment and what what was wrong with them. I mean, yelling at police officers. And um, everybody across the board has said that the police response to this particular incident was was perfect. Um, so maybe this is a moment where we could actually come back around to to that message and say, you know, police, look at how hard they're working. Look at what an amazing job they did in this instance why don't we do what we can to support them and not put them in harm's way because red flag laws would have prevented this particular shooting. And by the way, the second amendment is an amendment. That means it's flexible. We also used to have an amendment about slavery. We changed that. And the second amendment was written before the bullet was invented. That's like, if we still had like laws based on lamp oil and livestock and what your where your horse could park, but it was sacred. Do you understand the gun cult? I just don't get it, but I know it's real. But I don't understand it. It's everywhere, though. I, if if you look around, it's in our language. You know, we say, "I'll shoot you an email," or "Let's fire this up," or "Let's." You know, I mean, we have all kinds of. It's 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 so wended into every aspect of our lives. It's in our all of our media, our films, our. We are, you know, and we romanticize guns. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, the James Bond movies were, and I know they're still a thing, but they were a really big deal. And it was, it was all about guns and how cool they are and, you know, sexy. And there's, you know, a sexualization of guns. It's, it's, it's sort of a, you know, um, a way that you can purchase power and prestige, I think, for some people, and especially people who are, down and out. And I don't even know, you know, I, I know there are a lot of arguments about the role that video games play in all of it. And I don't, I, I don't know enough about that to know um, how much of that impacts it. But I do think that there was a shift at some point when we started making um, assault rifles available to people, because it seems like those are the, the, the weapon of choice for all of these mass shootings. And, um, you know, at the very least, could we not, I mean, why does anybody need an assault rifle? By the way, there are lots of video games in Japan and there's no shootings in other places. So yeah. that's such a pathetic argument. You, though, are the type of person who says, damn it, I'm going to do something about it. 
you were a mayor, you were a neighborhood mayor, now you're in the state Senate. You uh, tried to run against a rigged district in Congress, which I so admire. I mean, it's sort of like, well, I'm going to try anyway, I'm going to do it. But even better than that, my prayers were answered as well as others who I've spoken to. Go ahead, you make the announcement because I was really hoping that this was where you were going to go. Well, you know, I decided to throw my my hat in for the um, for the mayor race in Nashville, and uh, we'll be announcing uh, next Wednesday, which I think is when you'll air this. So um, I'm excited. We're announcing at eleven o'clock next Wednesday. Um, I um, I have thought a long time about whether or not to get into this race because um, if there were somebody that I thought understood, you know, for those of you out there who are not from Nashville, you should know that Nashville right now is in the, I guess, the midst of a hostile takeover, I would say. The state is actively and aggressively trying to take control of the city of Nashville. Um in very big ways. I'm trying to take our airport authority, our sports authority, take over the convention center. They've already reduced the size of our council. Um, they wanted to rename the street in front of our office building, uh, Donald Trump way. I mean, all kinds of, all kinds of attempts to, to, to take over our city. And, that's a very complicated situation that I don't think a lot of people, people may think they understand how you would deal with that. But unless you're in the legislature and know the, these people, I don't think you, I don't think you're going to be able to to get anywhere with it because inevitably, just like anything else, it's all about relationships. So there's that. And then um, on top of that, I'm, I'm the kind of person that, um, my MO is to 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 show up if there's a problem, you know, um, like I did, you know, when I found out about that shooting. And um, yes, to have plans, but also to realize that they could change and to, you know, to to be able to um to to, you know, improv on the run when you need to, which is really what you need to do as a mayor. But then also you know, I have a lot of experience because I, I was the mayor of my my small town and spent a lot of time on municipal uh, Nashville boards and, you know, understanding sort of how things work. So I understand mundane stuff like trash and multimodal connectivity and things like that because I've spent a lot of time with it and I love it. And I think we really need somebody who gives a damn and knows that Nashville right now is in a situation i feel like nashvillians are really hoping that we're building a place to live and not just a place to visit um because the focus has been for so long here on growing and and developing and um a lot of out of out of state sometimes out of country developers coming in and we have grown very fast and nashvillians are bearing the brunt of it with affordability with congestion um, and housing. And I, I know that, um, I know that some of the people that are in this race are, you know, very pro development and there are some great people in this race. As a matter of fact, I think they're all good people, but I just didn't see Nashville's next mirror there. And I know that I, I know that I have what it takes to do that. And I, 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 I really want to, I really want to make a difference in, um, 
in terms of the relationship with the state and making sure that we're taking care of Nashvilleians and that we're maintaining the Nashville that I grew up in. It did go tourist crazy and the downtown is kind of nuts, but the infrastructure hasn't really caught up to the steroids level growth, right? Right. Yep. Exactly. And, you know, um, I think that some of the, some of the deals that were made with developers could have been made to benefit Nashville better. I think we, we gave some people some pretty great deals and we should have probably asked for a little bit more in terms of making sure that Nashville was taken care of. Um, we're seeing that right now with the fallout from the stadium. Um, and the fact that we're, I guess, up against a wall as the current mayor would frame it in terms of having to build a new stadium um, because of a bad deal that was made before. Um, and then, you know, for a city this size to not have any real meaningful transit is um, ridiculous. We That's something that um, should have happened a long time ago. Um, so, and, and I don't know, it, well, I'm sure you have noticed that you'll be going along a sidewalk in Nashville and it'll just end. And <laughs> um, same with bike paths, you know. So, I mean, if you've spent time in other cities, as a lot of us have, like Minneapolis or, you know, certainly a lot of cities in Canada and Holland and places like that where they have just really great biking and walking options, you know that it's just healthier for the city as a whole getting people out of cars and on their feet and on bikes. It's, it's just, it's better for all of us. And not to mention, you know, the, the exhaust and all of that. So um, I think there are a lot of things like that. I think people are really fed up with the litter. Um, our landfills outside of Nashville um, are at capacity and we really have to stop um stop just relying upon the idea that our trash just magically disappears and start really looking at reduction. <laughs> so um, there are a lot of issues like that that I think most Nashvilleans are on board with. Um, you know, criminal justice reform, we the inequity in Nashville, um, we need to um, we need to support black owned businesses and women owned businesses and um, Nashville. Um, businesses and we don't do that nearly enough. So I think, you know, a budget's a, um, a, a value document. It, it tells, it tells you exactly what, you know, the value system is of the people who are making it. And I, I think when you look at our budgets over the past several years, they've been, um, focused on growth more than they've been focused on support. Well laid out. You know, I had friends way up in the Amazon hierarchy, Amazon, the corporation years ago, and they were seriously behind the scenes considering Nashville for a lot of positive reasons to put their primary headquarters, one of two. And they said to me, they couldn't believe a city of that size and sophistication. I remember that word didn't have any mass transit at all. And it was just sort of this haphazard crazy and the traffic was nuts. And this was maybe six years ago, I was pre-pandemic. And then they did, the city tried to do a transit thing. Everyone complained about the traffic, but when they said, hey, would everybody pitch in 30 cents more a buck? They were like, no. And I knew Republicans and Democrats who were like, that's nuts. You know, the smart folks. There are solutions, right? It's just going to take a collective will and a, and a, a 
I guess, the ability to build some consensus. But there are issues that need to be solved. Of course, yeah. We can't keep kicking the can down the road. And we've had a series of people who have, you know, part in some ways, the, you know, election cycles can be bad for long-term propositions because everybody wants to kick it down the road because they know that, you know, it's going to cost money. And that's, that, that's, and especially with transit, because those are long projects that take several years to, to pull off. But, you know, I serve on the transportation committee in the Senate, and we just passed the biggest transportation bill that we've ever had in, in um, the history of our state. And um, it's a paving project. And that was really disappointing. I, I voted against it because it was a, not only was it a paving project, but it involved privatizing um, toll roads. They're, they're calling them choice lanes. And and they are, I mean, you you can choose to use them, but, you know, the privatization component of them really puts us in a position where we're going to be um, stuck with whoever, whoever decides that they're going to, whoever we decide to give that contract to. And, um, and all of these things have opportunity costs because, you know, when you make that decision, you're, you're not making another decision, which is, you know, maybe to have a light rail route from downtown Nashville to the airport, which would be a really good start. Um, but we're so you're right. Amazon, that Amazon conversation, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me because we are, um, we are way, way behind on that. Um, and it's, very hard after the fact when you've got, you know, um, a much larger population and um, much more build out to to create transit. Um, so we're, we're not only are we way behind on that, but it's going to be harder to do than it would have been um, 10 years ago when we voted. 10 times more expensive. If you think it's pricey, then wait till you see what it looks like later. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But, you know, uh, these are, this is all um, part of the value system proposition that, um, that I'm hinting at with, 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 you know, my argument about why we need people who care about building a Nashville to live in and not just a Nashville to visit, you know, inevitably there's a tipping point where if you're just focusing on a Nashville to visit or um, the developers building out to get bigger and bigger, where it becomes less desirable to live there and 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 goes downhill pretty rapidly um, because there's a point at which people are not going to be willing to sit in traffic and they're not going to be willing to um, to move here if they can't afford to live here and and things like that. So um, so we really need to everything's about balance and we really need to focus on the the side of um, the people who live here for a little while. Is there no way out of the stadium deal? Because every single person outside of the Adams family who owns a team thinks it's a good idea. Are we really trapped? It's a hell of a lot of money for an edifice that you don't really get a lot of use out of and mostly benefits one small group of people. It's a complicated situation because there is a lot built around it. There, There is... Um, you know, park, there are parks, they're getting rid of a, a big, huge um, sort of uh, junk yard that's on the river there. And, um, and they're building multimodal um, connectivity and, and stuff like that. So that is something to take into consideration. It, it does improve the area. On the other hand, um, 
it, you're right. I mean, it, it is it is something that um, you know it's hard to make a case for it when you have people who um, can't afford you know to clothe and feed their kids in our city, working two and three jobs, and you know people who can't um, afford a car, and and the bus routes are not predictable and things like that. Um, so it is, it's a hard case to make. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is, um, you know, the council's in the process of voting on it. And I, I would, unless something gets, unless something changes, I suspect that that decision will have been made before, um, before the next mayor takes office, especially because the current mayor, this has sort of been his, you know, center stone piece. So I think that um, I think that likely that will have been a done deal by the time the next mayor takes office. What about real investment in minority communities and areas that need help and need money? Because I love that you keep pointing out that a budget really shows your intention and your values. Shout out to my friend, Eric Brown, who you know, too, who does a lot of great community organizing for all people and is a great benefit to the city of Nashville. You know, you always hear the promise, let's be frank, when white politicians want votes of color from people of color, but how can we make it where if when you win, it really does matter and it did make a difference? Well, you know, one thing that's really important to me is making sure that there's a home in the mayor's office for the legislators um, and some of my favorite people and people I work with. Um, the most are uh, representatives like Vincent Dixie and Harold Love and um, and now our newly elected Senator Charlene Oliver, who I adore. And it, their projects and their focus is very much on supporting minority businesses and, and Black um, um, communities. And that's something that I, um, I would do organically anyway, but we'll do, would want them to take the lead on, you know, want to follow their lead because they have, they have been living in that, uh, community and understand where our resources would be best spent. So, I mean, one thing that, um, that's really important when you're in an executive position um, and as a mayor is to understand how to delegate, how to build teams, how to um, how to really get the best use out of um, the people that work with you in terms of what they bring to the table. And um, and we do not communicate enough. <laughs> and uh, this is sexist, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that I think women Women do a better job of that than men do. You saved me the trouble of saying it. Thank you. I, and by the way, every statistic <laughs> for you data guys, women make better leaders. It's a fact. Well, I say president company excluded because you're an excellent communicator. As a matter of fact, that's what we're doing right here. But, um, but um, you know, so I, I, I would want them to take the lead on that. And I've already talked to them about that. And um I think that um, it's not a matter of um, uh, determining what those um, what those investments would be so much as just making sure that we're catalyzing that process. So we don't we don't even need to invent that. That that's something that um, just hasn't been funded. For those listening, and you know this because you're one of the great team builders. You just would be the mayor, but it's about who you bring with you and getting everyone else involved. No one person could do anything, especially anything meaningful. 
but uh, with good people and and priorities and intention and an ability to listen and learn and do this thing on the fly, but also make it worthwhile. Let's build someplace beautiful. I love Nashville. Let's build somewhere beautiful that it's uh, wonderful for everybody and for more people and for kids. And yeah, it's a tourism hub too, but it's just a great place with parks and schools and bike lanes and nature. Isn't that really, this? it's not so secret sauce and it sounds obvious, but most people don't do it. It's so true. And it's not something you can do by waving a magic wand. It's, you know, a very long and laborious series of decision trees, you know, where you're making binary choices along the way and you have to make the right choice. But, you know, it's pretty obvious what the right choice is. Back to our greed versus good. You know, it's um, I think a lot of a lot of people have been making choices in our state, um, definitely, and somewhat in our city that have been based upon their own personal trajectory and their own personal gain juxtaposed to thinking about our community at large. And we need to build community schools. We need to support our children and build you know, services around them so that we're gonna have, we already have um, a terrible situation post COVID with mental health and um, third grade retention and reading and attention deficit issues in schools, workforce development, all of these things are, um, which sounds like so much and it's so huge, but if you employ your, um, your team with the directive that we need to be always doing the right thing to make Nashville a better place, that these decisions should not be made based upon our any of our own personal um, situations, but upon what is good, the greater good, which is what government's supposed to be about. Um, then slowly, slowly, you can start to change things. And um, and I think I think you know that's exactly what we need right now. We need somebody who is able to to begin to move Nashville in a direction that um, that's about Nashville and not about um, other people's interests. It sounds like traditional humanistic values in a modern era, but back to basics. And it's not, it's not a kumbaya pie in the sky thing. It's, it's smart because, you know, in the final analysis, this planet's in big trouble. And if we don't have people, I mean, my hope is that there are people elsewhere who also want to this badly enough to um, to change the way that we do politics. My sister um, keeps calling me a politician and it's driving me crazy because I was just like, I am not a politician. And finally she said, look, you just have to admit that you are. And I guess, I guess, I, I guess the way that I'm able to deal with that is to say, okay, all right, that's fine. I'll be a politician, but I'm not, I am not, I'm going to do it my way, which is that I think that you, you have to up your game and, and have a value system that, um, that you would bring to any other thing. And because for too long or since Citizens United, um, at least, um, we have moved more and more towards, towards greed and, and personal interest in pol and politics and um, which, by the way, uh, is what this NRA gun stuff is all about. And um, 
And, you know, we need people who will actually say, no, it's not okay. It's, you have to tell the truth and and you have to try to make, do your best. You know, you're not always going to be perfect, but do everything you can to make the world a better place. And I think getting um, down to people's motivation is an important thing. And um, I'm doing this because I'm really worried about the future, not just of our city, but um, of our planet for, for our children. I describe you to my friends as a mom doing politics well. <laughs> like that. That's, that's, that's like a social democracy. It's not socialism and it's a democracy. I'm amazed by you, but so I'm asking this question both as the, the what matters most guy, but as a dear friend. What is it in you that makes you want to get involved in all this and swim in the cesspools of these places and seek higher ground and want to work it out and deal with some insane folks and untie these unbelievable knots. I mean, you're a better man than I gunged in. It's an old line from a great classic film where the, you know, what do you ever even have time to stop and think what, why you're wired this way? And you obviously are, and I love it. Thank God you are. So I have someone to support. Yeah. I don't know why I'm wired this way. I, I mean, um, I have a lot of energy, um, I guess that's part of it. I also, I do have a very much like life is short and make the very most out of it you can. And if you're not making the world a better place, then fix it um, kind of disposition towards life um, that maybe is a value system I inherited from my parents who are both really great people and my my siblings. Um, but the other thing is, you know, it was, I got into this because I was trying to prevent a shopping mall from being built in my tiny little city. And I started a little group to stop it. And um, then I started to, over the course of running for office to be a commissioner and then a vice mayor and a mayor and so on, um, I, I, you start to realize what's going on because you're paying attention. And I think really, that's kind of what's wrong right now. The the constant news cycle, those those things that we're holding in our hand, those screens that we are carrying around with us all the time, are um, are taking us away from the present moment. And a lot of people are not really aware of what's going on around them. And I'm not judging them or blaming them because I certainly was guilty of that before I got involved. But when I became aware that you know we had this burgeoning congestion problem and we had these um, our landfills were going to be at capacity and then, you know, realized that we had this horrible relationship with the state and so on and so forth. Successively, the awareness of all of those things um, inspired me to do something about it, um, primarily because I'm sort of a cingulate gyrus person who feels like if you see a problem, you have to solve it. <laughs> You have to solve it, which has been a problem with my teenage daughter who, who keeps saying, Mom, I don't want you to solve the problems. I just want you to, to listen to me. Uh, <laughs> well, if you can overcome teenagers, you can work with the legislature. And the <laughs> That's true. That's probably the best training of all, actually. Um, yes. But, you know, I mean, and and that's and I feel really fortunate. Um, I do. I feel so lucky to be able to be a part of the conversation and to 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 be able to make a difference because, um, you know, it's it, not everybody gets to do that. And so I feel so fortunate to be able to do it. And um, and I take it seriously. I, I, I think that it's not something to take lightly. Um, it's a responsibility that um, 
that, you know, you have to step up and, and, and make something of. It is a privilege to be in the position to serve. And it is selfish for me because I always feel like I get so much out of it. What can the listener do? Like I said, we have a lot of people in Nashville, some influential people, but not, if just anybody, a mom, another mom, a school teacher, a lot of young people I know listen, high school, college kids, how can they get involved? Obviously, we're going to have a link to the campaign if you want to make a donation because it costs a few dollars to get things going. Maybe they can help organize. They can canvas. And I know you have the great Chip Forrester involved, so shout out to Chip, too. I'm, I'm a big fan of his. He's a smart cat. Also, the great Cyrus Sheck. Cyrus is awesome. I don't know. Yeah, it's another. You got you're putting together a great team, and I know a lot of uh, people are going to be standing are standing up for you and coming out uh, as. Yeah, we've got Bob Freeman and John Ray Clemens and Bo Mitchell on our team. So um, that's that's an honor, and also uh, just have so much admiration for all those guys. So what can people do? Um, you know, I um. Our congressional campaign, we had um, a team, a force of students who were just, um, amazing. And some of them will be um, coming on board with this. And so any kids out there who want to who wanna jump on this campaign, we would love to have you because this is your future. The city is your future. And we are about a team. So we also want to hear, you know, as we as we work together, what people's ideas are. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, um, just to get the word out. Um, it's a big race. There are um, 10 people in it right now. So um, it's definitely going to be an interesting race because it's a four month long race with 10 people, um, maybe more, maybe a couple more jump in even. Um, so it'll be, it'll be a fun race. And, um, and I feel really, um, really good about, um, about jumping in. We've, we've been building up a lot of love over the past, um, couple of years with the congressional race and with a lot of work that I've been able to do in the Senate to help, um, district 20, which is a large part of Nashville. And, um, I'd just be honored to be able to, to carry that to the whole city. Let's say we're doing our victory podcast and we're talking about what we're going to do, but what is your vision for the city over the next coming years as the mayor? What, what do you, what do you see in your heart for this, the music city and which is such a warm and welcoming place? Start to nurture our communities, start to nurture our children, our schools, um, our, our poor communities, make sure that we're focusing more on North Nashville than we have been um, transit, let's get something rolling with transit. We're going to be dealing with either a diminished council or, um, you know, a pending lawsuit about it. So that kind of chaos can be complicated. Also, I want to work really hard with my colleagues in the legislature to tone down the, um, divisiveness and the, the struggle that we have between the state and the city right now, and maybe just see if we can't come to the table and and work some things out because it's not working the way that we're doing things now. You've been listening to the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com 
backslash what matters most and join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light.